At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Thank Kilmeade. Thank you for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Hope you had a sensational weekend. I know it was hot out, but it's cold summer. Don't panic. General Keith Kellogg coming up lately. Uh, next, I should say. I've not talked to him lately, and he's one of the best in the business in terms of insight and intelligence when it comes to what's happening in Ukraine. And we're coming up on a year since the disaster has exited from Afghanistan. It's embarrassing nation and uh, tanked the president's numbers uh, from the moment he did it and executed it. Bottom of the hour, uh, Josh Rogan, author of Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, Xi, and the Battle for the 21st Century. We'll talk about what brings him here and why he's especially timely today. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. President Biden sounds like the commissioner of the NBA. He just folds to whatever China wants instead of standing up for America. Uh, That is uh, absolutely true. Pelosi must go. No, I'm not talking about the next election. I'm talking about her alleged trip to Taiwan. Her idea to visit has triggered China's anger. It's off the charts. She's getting pressure to cancel the trip, but it was... But if we back off right now, our weakness as a country will show our allies we are not reliable and we are scared. Number two. You just told reporters the Pentagon is studying the possibility of providing fighter jets to Ukraine. I think what they're doing is just some exploratory thinking right now, Howie. And this is really long term. I mean, this is not something that we would be able to do anytime in the near term, weeks or months away. What? Weeks or months away, we just trained their pilots. They're thinking about December. John Kirby, snap out of it. Ukraine on the offense. For the first time, we see a move to take back some of the 20% of the land Russia has stolen as President Biden again hesitates on planes, F-15s and 16s. He said he was prepared to give. Once again, the White House is falling down where the world needs them to stand strong. Number one. When they are looking forward rather than looking back, More and more Republicans are saying, enough. I don't want to focus on the past. I want to focus on the future. I don't want to focus on Donald Trump and an election that is now two years old. I want to focus on inflation. I want to focus on crime. And this is causing a significant problem for Trump. Trump power. How much is left as Biden sees his own party begin to to punish him? Could both swing the midterms with an announcement on their futures? Should they make announcements before November? I say no on that. But let's swing back to the war. Let's bring Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. General, welcome back. General? All right, I'm not sure. Brian, can you hear me? Brian, can you hear me? Yeah, now we got you. Hi, Brian. I'm sorry. Sorry, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me this morning. Thank you. General, first off, um, I got to get your take. If, if Nancy Pelosi backs off and does not go to Taiwan, how bad will America look? Well, Brian, you nailed it on your introduction there. You know, you've got it's 
you've, she's got to go. I mean, look, Newt Gingrich went as a speaker in 1997. She needs to go to show strength. We should stop reacting to these guys. I don't care if it's Russia or China or Iran. We've got to show strength. And when they when the president of her own party recommends against her going, and then he uses the military. Well, the military doesn't recommend it either. Baloney, she should go. She should send a strong message, and I don't care what the Chinese say. They can yell all they want. Stop listening to them. We keep reacting to them. It makes no sense to me. They've, China has publicly threatened strong measures if Pelosi proceeds with the planned visits in August. Yeah. The day before, Mark Milley gives an interview and says, we expect... China to try, take, to try to take Taiwan within five years. But our rest of the neighbors from Japan to Australia to South Korea, they're looking for strength, even Vietnam. We have to show them we're willing to fight. If not, they're yeah. going to start cutting deals with this evil regime. You know, Brian, we have had a policy since 1979 about strategic ambiguity, you know, the famous yeah. one China policy, and that we would not challenge them in, and that there was only one China. Maybe it's about time we pick up the phone and say, you know something, I like this two China policy. You know, Taiwan is a country, 23 million people. It's a free country, has democratic elections out there, and they're really not part of China at all. And I don't know why we keep going back on this old comment and canard that that's only one China. China. No, there's really two Chinas out there, and we should make sure they understand that, and we should push our way forward on this instead of keep stop reacting to them. I mean, if they want to, you know, if I was General Milley, I'd say, look, Mark, look, if they want to invade in five years, fine. We'll be ready for them in five years. We'll be ready for them in four, three, two, or one, whatever they want to do. Don't threaten us. We've, you know, our, remember what President Trump said when he talked to Kim Jong-un, you know, I've got a red button, too, and mine's bigger than yours. Yeah, that was that was funny but real. Uh so let's pivot over to Ukraine. First off, yeah. I, I first time in my life, really since 9-11, I remember the New York Times and Washington Post is actually coloring things consistently more positive than maybe they actually are in Ukraine. Well, I'm not used to that. You know, I'm just I'm used to the other way. So now we see that Kyrgyzstan, now President Zelensky did not want to say it early, but I hear there's a, a, a very formidable counterattack going on in Kyrgyzstan, the first major city to fall in Russia hands. What can you tell me about that? What do you know? Yeah, Brian, you know, I actually said this uh, with a, on a John Roberts program almost uh, 60 days to 90 days ago. I knew there was an offensive going on in the South, and it was just a matter of time until they were going to keep pushing, because you can't be strong everywhere. And Putin gambled everything on the Donbass region, and to the, weak, to the South was pretty weak. And then when we've given them HIMARS, which is a – it's actually – is really causing the Russians some major problems because it's an incredible system that we developed during the Cold War to, to actually specifically stop the Warsaw Pact and the Soviet Union invading in the West. And you know, today on the Washington Post, the, frust- the frustration of the Ukrainians has come clear when they say the flow of weapons annoys Ukraine. This is above the fold on the front page of the Washington Post. We should give them every weapon system they need. And if we give now, them enough weapon system, yeah. they can at least stall out the Russians, and especially in the south in Kyrgyzstan. And here's the reason why Kyrgyzstan is so important. As you move from Kyrgyzstan, you can actually cut off that land bridge that the Russians have to the Crimea if they keep pushing it hard enough. This is going to cause the Russians some major problems. And the Russians have about extended as far as they can go. They're, they're back to their uh, to their last set of weapon systems, the old systems they've got. They're bringing them in like the T-62s. Their, their ammunition supplies are going down. Now, they can keep fighting, but the Ukrainians can actually pair up and match up quite well with them. So I don't think this is a lost cause for the Ukrainians at all. And if they can keep pushing in the south, it's going to cause the Russians some major problems. So we go ahead 
ahead and we bring out their pilots and train them and we send them back. And then we get set to give them F-15s and F-16s. And then we find out maybe they're not so ready to, for us to – we are not ready to sell them or give them to them. Listen to John Kirby try to spin his way out of this. Cut 12. You just told reporters the Pentagon is studying the possibility of providing fighter jets to Ukraine. Does that mean the administration is less worried about provoking Russia? Because that would be a significant escalation. I think what they're doing is just some exploratory thinking right now, Howie. And this is really long term. I mean, this is not something that we would be able to do anytime in the near term, weeks or months away. I mean, these kinds of aircraft require a lot of training, a lot of supply chain support, maintenance support. Yeah. And so we went on. Cut 13. Why did you announce it now? Well, it wasn't an announcement that we made. It was a, it was a, it, I got asked a question uh, as a result of uh, some comments that uh, Air Force uh, senior officials made out at Aspen. But it is just an exploratory measure to kind of see what long-term, trying to help uh, improve Ukraine's defense needs long, long-term, even post-war. That's, that's sinful. Yeah. What is he talking about? Yeah, Brian, it's a trial balloon. He's floating it to see how it floats out there. Look, I'll be very honest with you. I'd turn, pick up the phone and call Mark Milley and say, look, it's not F-15s and F-16s they really need because the air superiority is not there for the Russians. Give them A-10s. These are the systems that we developed in the, in the Cold War to defeat the Soviet Union, again, from the air. They're a ground attack system. They're a lot like what they call their SU-35. It's a great system. We have a lot of them in the inventory. They're not hard to train on because it's a really simplistic system. And allow them to punch hard back at the Russians. But I mean, this, I think what Kirby was saying, because it's coming out of the National Security Council, this was a trial balloon. What do you think? See if it gets any rise out of them. But if we're going to train their pilots, give them the equipment they need. I, I'm not saying put any U.S. troops on the ground or in the air, but I'm saying give them the equipment they need to fight this fight and let them fight it out. But we did train that. We have been training their pilots. The A-15s are supposed to, the Warthogs are supposed to be included in this. Something happened in between. General Jack Keane was optimistic by talking to the people higher up at the Pentagon. This was going to get done. They're preparing for it to be done. I am perfectly willing to be spun if it helps the Ukrainians be safe and more secure. I'll get it. I understand sometimes you can't tell the public everything. But my fear is we're getting everything. And they actually are looking to give it to them in December. What's going to be left? Yeah. What's going to be left of this war in, in December? Yeah, I mean, this is crazy. I mean, we're we're well into 150 days of this. This stuff should have been delivered, look, at least 100 days ago. And they're incrementally giving this stuff out. You don't fight wars in incrementalism. You just don't. You know, there's a thing, like I said, about artillery. There's an old Army military axiom that you say, never hold artillery in reserve. You move it all forward right away and fight it right away. We're like doling it out. Well, you get a little bit here, a little bit here. That's absolutely absurd when it comes to war fighting. The Russians don't fight like that. They don't understand that. We ought to give the Ukrainians the, the, at least the shot at the Russians to be able to fight well and give them the equipment they need. You know, again, not with, them, with soldiers or airmen, but give them the stuff they need. They can fight it out, and I think they'll do quite well. The one thing we find out about the American public, it's pretty consistent over our 200-plus years. We get impatient uh, as a people with yeah. a war that doesn't end quickly and the way we want it to be, and then we start losing sentiment towards it. I'm sure Joe Biden has people next to him say, Mr. President, you've got a kind of unified country right now. But if we continue to write checks and send equipment and not see ample progress, this whole thing is going to fall apart. Zelensky is doing the PR thing as well as the fighting thing and still ousting some spies from within. Does he the does the president understand the urgency in this that public sentiment will switch away from this? And that means the Russians could be looking at victory because he's been hesitant 
you know, Brian, I'm going to be pretty harsh on this statement. I think the president is absolutely clueless on this. I think he's not listening to some of the experts he's got. He's got his attitude about it, and that's the way it's going to be. Uh, I think it goes back to what, you know, uh, former Secretary of Defense Bob Gates said years ago, Joe Biden's been wrong on nearly every national security issue in the last 40 years. I think it's proven it again. I hate to say it. I don't think, Brian, and I understand it's harsh. I don't think he's up to it. I don't think he's up to the, to the challenge and the intestinal fortitude it's going to take and the leadership it's going to take. I'm, I, I'm very proud of supporting when I did President Trump. He would not have allowed this to happen. He wouldn't have thought this way. He wouldn't have fought this way. And I think Biden is doing it, and I think it's, a, it, it's just causing some enormous problems down the road. And when it comes to military aid, I think we also need to push the the European alliance that they need to provide more as well. You know, we're providing almost three to one aid, both economic, humanitarian, and military. You know, the European countries, the other 29 NATO countries need to pony up a lot more as well. I mean, a lot of them are taking in refugees like Poland doing extraordinary things. Uh, so we appreciate that. And there's others like Germany and France who are willing to say, we just got to worry about tomorrow. But they are sacrificing a lot energy-wise, which is very interesting that the Russians are choosing to give us a taste of what life would like without energy, which we've been dying for them to get off their energy. Merkel should be almost prosecuted for allowing them to be so attached, 55% of all energy coming from Russia. There's not never in their interest. Why they thought so, I can never understand. But do you understand Europe's their best customer? And if they could find a way to pivot away from natural gas and oil from Russia— that way, along with beating them militarily, we would get rid of a real cancer on the world. Yeah, and we and we can provide actually, you know, more of our liquid natural gas to Europe as long as they take it. We have said this for years that we want to do this. You know, we we ex- we've exported to them now. We wanted to send more to them as well, and we can do that. And I don't know why the Europeans don't look at us. Uh, it, so it's just one of those things. Look, Europe, you can depend on us. We can provide it to you. Uh, and, you know, the only people other than the Russians is, is Qatar and the United States, and they provide almost – we provide almost – when you combine the three of them, 70 percent of the, nat, the liquid natural gas to Europe. We ought to be able to do that. So we can do it. They should rely on us to do it and not working with the Russians. It will take time to wean them off it. Uh, and they've, they've caused this problem themselves, and Merkel's taken a lot of heat uh, for what she's done by getting so close to, Europe, to the Russians with, uh, uh, with, with, with uh, fuel – in energy, but you know, they created this problem themselves. Now they got to work their way out of it. Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, pick up his book, War by Other Means, A General in the Trump White House. Uh, listen, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here on this Monday. Bottom of the hour, Josh Rogan of the Washington Post. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Clearly Republicans still see Trump as the most important political figure, his endorsement still matters, as we saw in that Maryland governor's race. But when they are looking forward rather than looking back, more and more Republicans are saying enough. I don't want to focus on the past. I want to focus on the future. I don't want to focus on Donald Trump and an election that is now two years old. I want to focus on inflation. I want to focus on crime. I want to focus on Ukraine. 
and this is causing a significant problem for Trump. And I think it's the reason why he's more likely than not to announce in 2022 rather than wait till 2023. And one final point, if he does announce, he could actually cost the Republicans the House as well as the Senate. If the election is about the economy, Republicans win both. If the election is about Donald Trump, Republicans lose both. And you know what? You don't have to be Frank Luntz to figure that out. So the president's got popularity. We got it. And it's always a grind. You never know exactly. I don't care who the I don't care who the candidate is. Barack Obama, George Bush. There's no you know, we, the country starts off 38 percent and 38 percent. Then you go out and win it. And a lot of it has to do with the circumstances in the country. But if President Trump comes out and says, I'm going to be running again, number one, it doesn't work to his advantage, but it really kills the Republicans. And here's why. Even if you're the biggest Donald Trump fan, understand for them to be successful in places like Ohio, in Nevada, New Hampshire, Wisconsin, again, with uh, Senator Johnson, although they're, they're very well, uh, they're so, so much linked together. Herschel Walker, in particular, these purple areas where you got to do a Yunkin-like win. Uh, Lee Zeldin, for example. You don't want Kathy Hochul to be saying, Lee Zeldin is a sycophant of Donald Trump. You want to say Lee Zeldin is a is a congressman from New York with a military background who who has won election after election in a very purple area in Suffolk County. But the minute Donald Trump comes out and says, I'm running, I'm the leader of this party, it allows all the anti-Trump elements to rise up. A lot of them are suburban women, a lot of them are moderates, and certainly all of them are Democrats. It makes it easy because you want them thinking about 31% approval rating Joe Biden. You don't want them thinking about January 6th, Donald Trump. doesn't matter what you think. If you love Trump, that doesn't matter. You have to think about what's it going to take to win in these, in these areas, like New Hampshire, like in Georgia, like in Nevada, like in Arizona, especially. So Turning Point USA Summit, it does a straw poll at the end. And they had, uh, they had Mike Pompeo there. They had Ron DeSantis there. Mike Pence did not speak. So they said, who's your pick for president? If Trump did run and the 2024 Republican presidential primary offers the following choices, who would you pick? 78% said Trump, 19% said DeSantis, 1% said Kristi Noem, 0.5% Mike Pompeo, 0.3% Cruz, 0.3% Haley, 0.3% Mike Pence. So it's not even close. Keep in mind, keep in mind that this is early. There's other polls like New Hampshire and in Michigan and in Florida that Governor DeSantis and Donald Trump in a va- basically a dead heat. So there's a lot more to go. On on the others, on who do you who fear the most on the left? Gavin Newsom, number one. 30% feared Gavin Newsom would give the president the hardest time. Michelle Obama's number two at 13%. Gavin Newsom with 30%. Amazing. Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with Josh Rogan next. He's going to tell us why Nancy Pelosi has to go and what is really happening in the Ukraine. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The FBI and MI5 out of Great Britain came to America and said to everyone that the risk of doing business in China is is intense. They steal our intellectual property. They sort of take and then turn over and send you out. Uh, Our universities are, are infected. And they, 
and China have learned a lot of lessons by what's going on in Ukraine. They are watching and they are going to try and figure out how sanctions won't affect them. And they're going to wait for their time with Taiwan. Uh, and they're a risk because they can disrupt our supply chain. And that was uh, Congressman Brad Winstrup, who is a, a medic in the Army. Uh, and he was just talking on Fox and Friends this weekend, talking about the dangers of China and how it all goes to Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, says, I'm going to go visit Taiwan in about a month. And when President Biden was asked about that, he's not for it. And now China is outraged by it, and they're threatening something severe will happen if she, in fact, visits Taiwan. Josh Rogan joins us now, author of Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, Xi, and the Battle for the 21st Century, Washington Post columnist. Josh, welcome back. What, it, what is the why is China so upset that the speaker might go? And what do you think our reaction should be? Well, Brian, to be clear, you know, the Chinese Communist Party gets upset every single day about every single thing. And, you know, we can fall into this trap of, you know, falling for this, you know, fake outrage every time a couple of congressmen want to go to Taiwan. Or we can tell them that Americans have the right to go wherever they want, whenever they want. Whether or not it offends the delicate sensibilities of the Chinese Communist Party, it doesn't matter, right? That should be our policy, first of all, okay? And how dare they? And who do they think they are to tell any U.S. representative whether or not they can go to Taiwan, which is a democracy where congressmen go all the time? But the reason this became such a mess is because the Pelosi staff and the White House couldn't get on the same page. They couldn't agree on whether or not this was a good idea right now. And, you know, the administration says, well, you know, do we really want a crisis at this moment? We got a lot going on. And the Pelosi staff says, well, that's what's always going to happen. So what are we just never going to go? And in a way, they're both right. But the point is that you would think a Democratic House, you know, leader in a Democratic administration could just get on the same page, could have a talk about it and figure out what America's policy is. But because they're so disorganized, discombobulated, we look like we don't know what we're doing, and then the Chinese ramp up the threats and make everybody scared and take advantage of the fact that we're so dysfunctional. That's what's going on. So when this was posed to the president before he was diagnosed as positive for COVID, this is what he said. Well, I, I, I think that the military thinks it's not a good idea right now, but uh, I, I don't know what the status of it is. Really, that's not helpful, but it shows weakness. It shows equivocating, doesn't it? And you understand exactly. how they view it. You would stay. You were in Japan for a long time. You really got to know this region. Well, that's exactly right. You know what Biden did was first of all he confirmed the trip, which was supposed to be a secret. Because so the whole point is is that you go, you don't tell the Chinese too far in advance, because then they have time to threaten you for a bunch of months, and then everybody gets all scared and you don't go. So the whole point is to keep it a secret until basically you touch down. So Biden blew the, that plan, first of all. Second of all, he revealed that the administration has these concerns, but the, his staff had been trying to work it out with Pelosi behind the scenes quietly. So he really screwed up the negotiations at the same time because, you know, they're trying to convince Pelosi, hey, listen, let's just delay, maybe after the election when you're not really speaker anymore. I mean, she'll be speaker, but she won't be speaker. It'll be okay. And then Biden blurts it out, and the Pelosi people are like, what the heck? And they're like, now they feel like they have to go. So it's just a mess, okay? And this is what the Chinese love best, when we don't know what we're doing. Because then they can go around and be like, oh, look at, you know, look at this situation, and look at the Americans, and they're the aggressors, and everyone else in the region doesn't know what's going on. And this fits into like the broader strategic confusion about our Taiwan policy, Ryan, which is really the big, the big problem, which is that 
When President Biden opens his mouth, he says, yeah, we're going to defend Taiwan. He said it three times already publicly. And each time the White House has to walk it back and be like, well, we don't know. We have this thing called strategic ambiguity. So we're not going to tell you one way or the other. And to the everyone else in the region, they're like, what, what, what are we supposed to make of that? How is that American foreign policy where the president and his staff say two different things? And how are we supposed to plan for that? And again, this gives the Chinese the advantage, which they shouldn't have, because everybody knows that if China attacks Taiwan, that's going to be terrible, terrible for the world, terrible for Taiwan. It's going to make this whole Russia-Ukraine war look like a walk in the park, okay? It's going to be bad. So we should increase our deterrence, in my opinion, be clear that we're going to defend Taiwan, in my opinion, and then, you know, tell the Chinese that, hey, since that's a free democracy and we're a free democracy, we'll visit whenever we want and you'll just have to lump it. That's what I think our policy should be, but it's not. I hope it is. In the end, I know we show weakness, but we could save it by going. And he could say that. It's unbelievable that, he, you know, for one thing, I haven't heard Speaker Post say anything negative about President Biden ever. So you got to think that they could have worked this out behind the scenes. Also, the president is never like he gets walked back, but he never corrects. He got walked back with Taiwan, but he kept saying the same thing over and over again. So right. it's almost he never like acknowledges he- <laughs> it. Well, to be honest, Brian, I agree with Trump with I'm sorry, with President Biden on this. one. I, I think too. we should defend Taiwan. I think he's right. And I think his staff is trying to rein him in. And he's the president of the United States. And if he thinks we should defend Taiwan, then ultimately he's going to make that decision. But we have this thing called strategic ambiguity, which is supposed to preserve the status quo uh, by not telling anybody what our policy is. And it's very clear to me, at least, and to a lot of other people like Secretary Mark Esper, who just got back from Taiwan, Secretary Pompeo, who just got back from Taiwan, and a lot of Democrats, too, say, listen, this situation is getting really dangerous. And you know, I was in the region last month, and it was clear to me from all the Chinese generals promising to attack Taiwan that the Chinese are planning to attack Taiwan. Doesn't mean they're going to do it today. Doesn't mean that they can do it today. But as soon as they believe they can get away with it, they're probably going to try it. Okay. And what we do between now and then is really important. We need all these other countries in the region to join us. And when you have the president of the United States and his staff and the Speaker of the House saying three different things about what our policy is, uh, that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. What is there? What do you think China? What have you heard is China's takeaway from Russia's troubles in the Ukraine? You know, what they're learning is how not how to do it better. They're practicing how to do it better. So, first of all, they learned about nuclear brinksmanship because Putin threatened to nuke us. So the Chinese are building hundreds of new nuclear weapons. For what reason? to brush us back if we try to interfere on Taiwan. Then they learned about sanctions. So now they're taking all their banks out of our system and preparing to get sanctioned. Then they're hoarding food and supplies and fuel and grain so that if we try to cut off their economy, that they'll, they can just be fine for a while. And then what they're going to do is they're going to, they're not going to make Putin's mistake, which was to slowly attack Kiev. They're going to do it fast and that's going to be brutal and thousands of people are going to die. And that's why we have to stop it. And the only way we can stop it, by the way, is to make sure that they don't think that they could pull it off. And that means arming the Taiwanese to the teeth with the stuff you need uh, to defend from an invading army. And we're not doing that right now. We need to speed it up and fast. Um, that's unbelievable that we're not doing it. I thought we were doing that. We had some advisors on the ground. A little bit. Yeah, okay. I thought it was going to be some more significant. Not enough. There. You say a couple other things. Um in terms of what China is doing with their zero COVID policy, why are they not backing off that? They see it destroying their economy. They see what they have to do to their own people. What are they doing? Are they going to continue to do this in Shanghai and other places? Yeah, I mean, Brian, listen, we have to be careful when we analyze the Chinese Communist Party's top leadership because it's kind of a black box. But what the concern is, is that they can't, they've 
eliminated their ability to change course. In other words, Xi Jinping is about to be crowned for his third term, which essentially makes him a dictator for life in China. He's killed or uh, jailed anyone who might challenge him. So in that system, if you're the guy who's like, hey, wait a second, this zero COVID policy is tanking our economy and it's crazy because the variants don't work that way anymore. If you say that, you're going to die or go to jail and your whole family's going to go to jail. So no one says it. So it, we're in a dangerous situation where the Chinese Communist Party may not be able to admit a mistake ever, which means they just double down forever. Now, that's what the Biden administration is worried about when when Nancy Pelosi is like, oh, I'm going to go to Taiwan today. They're like, wait a second. What if the Chinese are so crazy at this point that they're going to feel compelled to overreact and then we're going to have a crisis? We could have a war. I'm not saying that's not a legitimate thing to think about. Right. I'm just saying that we can't overreact to that. And at the same time, we have to realize that these guys are thugs. They're basically operating like a mafia organization right now. And the way to deal with criminal organizations is to apply the law and to do the right thing and to show strength. And, you know, that requires America speaking with one voice and leading the world. And that's where the, I think the Biden administration is falling short. You did write about what our diplomats, when they go to zero COVID, COVID what happens to our diplomats who want to go shopping, want to go out? Uh, do they, are they immune to this? Not only are they not immune, Brian, but what I discovered is that a bunch of them, over a dozen of them, were thrown into these fever clinics. These are Chinese government medical quarantine centers. It looks like a prison, it acts like a prison, walks like a prison, talks. It's a prison, okay? And for them to scoop up American diplomats and their family members for testing positive for COVID and throw them into these COVID fever clinic prisons, that's outrageous. That's uh, against the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations. They've been doing this for years. The embassy is trying to fix it now. Uh, not to mention, let's 40,000 U.S. citizens in Shanghai who got locked down, couldn't get food, couldn't go to work, couldn't leave their apartments. Uh, you know, the Chinese government abuses its people horrendously to one degree or another. If you're a Uyghur, you're, in, you're probably in a camp. If you're just a regular Chinese person, you're just monitored everything you write and think and, and do, dings your social credit score. But for Americans in China, the situation is getting really, really bad. And the ability of the U.S. government to protect Americans in China is going way down. And I heard your lead. And when you think about doing business in China, what are these corporations doing? How are they you know, investing in China and putting Americans in money invested in China and moving their corporate, their, our supply lines to China while the ent- every piece of data you see, every trend is going really negative? Okay, because the Chinese Communist Party is becoming more aggressive, more repressive, more expansionist and more interfering in our lives. And that's that's what's really going on in the U.S.-China relationship. And the Pelosi kerfuffle is just one small piece of that. So when I hear these Treasury experts and these uh, economic experts say, well, let's just remove if you want to get inflation down, let's remove some of these Chinese tariffs. They don't work anyway. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, if they don't work, why did China want them off so badly? And why did Biden take forever to take them off? Because he undid everything else Trump did. What is your take on, Josh? Do these, these tariffs right. strike home? Hit home for right. them? It, it should, well, Brian, you hit the nail on the head. It should tell you something that the, Chinese, the thing the Chinese Communist Party wants most is for the tariffs to go. Now, if they were useless, if they didn't exert any pressure, then why do they care about them so much? So that's one thing. The other thing is that it wouldn't help inflation. It's such a tiny bit of money. It's not even the things that are causing inflation. The tariffs are three years old. So it's not going to do anything. So that's just a lie. The truth of the matter is that the reason that there's so much lobbying money in Washington uh, going into the, the Treasury Department and the committees that run this stuff uh, is because Wall Street and the Chamber of Commerce want to do a favor for the Chinese Communist Party so they can get a favor in return and make money on their short-term balance sheets 
while increasing the risk of American investors in a Chinese Communist Party that's building the machine that's attacking our democracy and our way of life, okay? And the corruption of, of that scheme is not well mm -hmm. understood by most Americans, but that's what's going on. You've got Wall Street firms who are trying to get access to the Chinese market to make a little bit of money before the whole thing goes kaflui, and they're willing to sell out America's national security to do it. And that's what the tariff debate is really about. It's not about whether or not we're going to get inflation down 0.0003%, if that even is true. It's about are we going to continue to fight China's economic aggression, which is pointed at us, which is aimed at our prosperity, or not? And if we are, then we got to keep the tariffs and actually do more. We got to do more investigations. We got to keep on them about all of the things they're doing wrong the intellectual property theft, the trade subsidies. And we have to realize that Wall Street is playing on the wrong side of the fence. They're helping the Chinese Communist Party raise our money from us to build the machine to attack us. That's crazy. That's what we got to stop. That's the big weakness in our U.S.-China strategy. Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, we have Josh Rogan, our guest here from The Washington Post, uh, offering his expertise in the region. Just to, uh, point, uh, worth pointing out, it's something we kind of understood, but evidently the Pentagon's been studying all the intercepts uh, with China aircraft and ships in the Pacific region over the last few years. And the conclusion, China's been significantly more aggressive and dangerous over the last five years. Uh, that, according to General Milley, I'm not sure why he had to do a study on that, just right. uh, just still looking at the news, we've been seeing that. What's the significance in them going public with that as he goes to Indonesia over the last few days, first time in a long time? You know, there's just no part of the U.S. government that isn't waking up to the fact that the Chinese Communist Party is becoming an increasing problem in ways that affect free and open societies all over the world and in ways that affect our lives. And the spying is one part of it. You saw FBI revelations this week. You saw, you know, there's, it's just everywhere you look. And, you know, I'm not even going to start on the pandemic, you know, which is, again, came out of China, was covered up by the Chinese, no investigations. But put that aside, you know, if, let's say you never got COVID, you must realize at this point that we've got a problem here. And now the fact that Mark Milley is saying that, okay, well, the spying has gone way up. Yeah, that's, it, it, that should be pretty obvious. But it just goes to show you that, you know, we're always sort of thinking, oh, well, What's going on with Saudi Arabia? What's going on with Ukraine? China is the long-term challenge. And the more attention that Americans have, the more awareness that Americans have about their plan to change our world order in ways that benefit them and make the world safe for autocracy and repression and against us, the community of free and open societies, the better. So I think the fact that he's talking about it more, but no, I don't think anyone's surprised. Right. Uh, yeah, he's uh, talking about it more The General Milley. What are we going to do? Are we going to invest in our Navy and kind of respond? Are we going to... That's one message that could be sent. As much as we want to put our hand out, they look at that as weakness. We learned that with Iran as well as Russia. But, Josh, the other thing is that a lot of people point to is the fact that President Biden's got this rich experience in China. It talks about how well he knew President Xi when he was second in command. But he doesn't talk about how his son has business interests over there for years. Do you think that matters when it comes to foreign policy? What, is your, how do, what do you deduct from this? You know, of course it matters because the Chinese Communist Party – seeks to not just corrupt our leaders, but it, to corrupt their families and their children. And they're not the only ones that do it, by the way. The Russians and the Saudis do it too, but the Chinese do it more. Okay, And they uh, corrupted Neil Bush, you know, the son of the, George w, uh, the brother of George W. Bush, son of George H.W. Bush, and they corrupted Hunter Biden. Okay, And I'm not even talking about the things that are – I'm talking about the things that he's admitted to. 
and the deals that he's already been public gotcha. about. And that, there's plenty in the open source without even wondering what else is, is out there that shows us that he was trading on his family's name uh, to make money from China for mm -hmm. things that he had no business being involved in, he's that he had no skills to apply to. He's and, got, uh, Josh, I got to end it there, but you have a blizzard of knowledge and opinion and extremely valuable. I have no idea why you're not on CNN every hour. Josh Rogan, thank you. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. For Democrats, they would love to make 2022 about Donald Trump. They would love to. But it's not about Donald Trump. It's about inflation. It's about gas prices. It's about crime in the streets. If you're in New York or Washington or Boston or Chicago or Los Angeles, San Francisco, it's about crime. And Democrats are not doing well on those issues. That is uh, Governor Christie. Made a lot of news with us. On Friday, you talked about Lee Zeldin, talked about what Zeldin has to do, how there was an opportunity, a window of opportunity with all the attention on him because he was attacked on stage, talking ironically about bail reform, and his assailant is out on no cash bail within hours. Thankfully, the feds picked him up uh, and put him back in jail. He's an Iraq war vet, appreciate his service, but don't appreciate how drunk he was and how aggressive he was. And, you know, there's no doubt about it. He could have done some real damage to somebody. I don't know how he got on stage so quick. But now Lee Zeldin's got the national spotlight. He has got to use it to beat the weakest Democratic governor candidate in the country in Kathy Hochul. And that's what Governor Christie mentioned on our show, which was picked up in the New York Post on Sunday. I noticed that as well as uh, what Governor Christie said about the president, uh, the former president, that is. And, he, of course, we'll hear from him a little bit later in this show, uh, Governor Christie, about what he said over the weekend analyzing the Republican side of this race in January 6th. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I just dropped my water, but the good thing is the cap was on. Therefore, my equipment is saved. Another good news story. Charles Hurt will be here at the bottom of the hour from the Washington uh, Times. John Rich has wrote a song that's number one on iTunes. It's, it's against progressives because he thinks they suck and ruining the country. Kennedy is here in studio. Uh, she is all-American. Exactly I mean, you, right. You could not be more all-American. That is correct, Brian. Thank you for noticing. What does your shirt say? Taxation? It says taxation is theft, Brian. Right. Did you uh, see the dress I wore last weekend at Freedom Fest? No, I didn't. Oh, Brian. You're I gonna, was you're not gonna, invited you, to Freedom Fest. Well, no, you weren't. But um, yeah. you could still look at my Instagram. Would you like to see the dress that I wore? Look, what, look at that dress, Brian. What does it say? What does it say, Brian? It, it says... says uh, I can't read. It says taxation is theft. Oh, yeah. We missed the T yeah. because it was on. It was... That's because I have a giant keister. Right. Uh, but it's exactly like AOC's tax the rich dress. I fixed it. Really? Yep. I love it. Thank you. How was Freedom Fest? It was It was really fun. It really? was a great collection of people. Very, very interesting speakers. Uh, I learned a lot. Got some new 
guests for my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World, on Spotify, Apple, and FoxNewsPodcast.com. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always good. You're a, you've you suddenly promoted. You, this is the most <laughs> you've promoted your podcast in quite some time. I think the podcast people would be happy. Big three. Yeah. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. President Biden sounds like the commissioner of the NBA. He just folds to whatever China wants instead of standing up for America. I agree with that. Pelosi must go. No, I'm not talking about leaving Washington. I'm talking about on her trip to Taiwan. Her idea to visit has triggered China's anger. It is off the charts. She's getting pressured to cancel the trip from her own party and from the White House. We cannot show weakness. Nancy, go to Taiwan. Number two. You just told reporters the Pentagon is studying the possibility of providing fighter jets to Ukraine. I think what they're doing is just some exploratory thinking right now, Howie. And this is really long term. I mean, this is not something that we would be able to do anytime in the near term, weeks or months away. Kennedy. Hi. You don't want to read this? Oh, do you want me to read it? Yeah, oh, read yeah. Number two. number two. Oh, thank you, Brian. This is a big day. Uh, Ukraine on the offensive for the first time. We see a move to take back some of the 20 percent of the land Russia has stolen as President Biden again hesitates on the planes. He said he was prepared to give. Once again, the White House is falling down when the world needs them to stand strong. Brian. Number one. Very good. Yes. They still like Donald Trump, but they're tired of focusing on him and they want the election. They want the concerns to be about themselves and about their future, not about Donald Trump's past. Trump power. How much is left as Biden sees his own party begin to push him out? Could both swing the midterms with an announcement of their futures? Should they make announcements before November? And with that, Kennedy, you have your show to focus on. I don't want to sidetrack you. Is it all right for you to talk about it on my talk on my show? I mean, it's it's okay, Brian. You but, know I'm busy, but right, okay. I, I can I can put things aside for thirty seconds. Thank you very much. Yeah. Is it does it benefit? Do you think that do you uh, do you think it benefits Donald Trump or the party or neither? For him to announce in September that he's going to run. I don't think he should run. I think he should announce now that he's not running. And the chances of that? The chances of that happening are low. Right. (laughs) But I'm a contrarian, and I'm really hopeful that he takes the good advice, and he steps back, handpicks a successor, and lets everything play out so we're not tortured by crazy old people any longer. Right. You, because, but it's not really Donald Trump. No one's really said, well, he's too old. Have they? No, because he's, he's more crazy than old. I, I think his, his energy uh, defies someone with his numerical age, but he's nuts. Here, do you really he's, think he's so? He's got some great ideas. Right. Great ideas. You agree with people a lot of his I policies. I really respect, uh, are inspired by his ideas and uh, we need to give him credit for that, and we need to honor the voters who need those ideas put back in place. Having said that, maybe we have, you know, we, we recast Darren here. It's a bewitched reference, right. Brian. Right, so the, the, the recast would be younger Darren, although well, they're probably the same age. Yeah. Right. Maybe, maybe the younger Darren's a little less difficult to work with. Right, if people do not know the bewitched re- reference, that's why they have TV Land and mm-hmm. YouTube. So quickly scramble on the break and find out exactly how insightful Kennedy Those who got it deserved it, Brian. Cut 43 is Josh Crashauer. He builds on your point from Axios. About half of the the Republican pro-Trump voters are are MAGA all the way. They they are into the election conspiracy theories. They will hang on to every word. They will go to the rallies. And that's about maybe 40% of the overall Republican electorate. 
The other half is very pro-Trump, might even say they want him to run again for president, but they want to look at the future. They, they, along the lines of what Frank said, they're concerned about the economy. They're concerned about crime. Maybe they have some concerns about 2020, but they, they are much more future focused. And when you combine that half of the Trump electorate with the anti, the, maybe the 20% of Republicans who are basically anti-Trump, that is the coalition that you know someone like Ron DeSantis or anyone else, for that matter, is looking at as they try to prepare for 2024. But not with him. It's got to be one or the other. Whatever you think of, if Ron DeSantis is your point, is your person, and if Donald Trump's your person, if they both can't run, because Ron DeSantis, if he loses, he'll walk away. Okay, but if Donald Trump loses, he will walk away with whoever's still supporting him. Yes, you don't want to force him out. That's why he very gracefully has to take survey of the political landscape before him and come to the right conclusion. Here is uh, Turning Point USA had their big summit over the weekend. He, they did a straw poll and said, who's your pick? The question was Turning 91% Point. 91% said if, Donald J. Trump. If Trump did run and the 2024 Republican presidential primary offers the following choices, for whom would you vote? Donald Trump, 78%. Ron DeSantis, <laughs> 19%. Christy Noem, 1%. Yep. Everybody else, Pompeo, Cruz, Haley, Pence, barely registered. Yeah. Your reaction? Do you change your view? I do not change my view. <laughs> huh? No, I can I can. You are not bold, driven. I know the Turning Point crowd loves Donald Trump. I get it. They're inspired. They love the good old days. I I love the 90s, but I'm not going to go back on MTV. That's I have my time. My time was great. Right. Uh, the time for Fox News and Fox Business is now, Brian, and, and that's where I am. And I think that's where Republican right. voters should be. But you they, should, sh- they should high-five the former president. They should thank him. Uh, they can reminisce when taxes were lower, gas was cheaper, and go, we want that again without the crazy person. Turning Point USA uh, did a straw poll and said, which Democrat do you think is the most difficult to defeat for president in 2024? Gavin Newsom, number one, at 30 percent. Michelle Obama at 13. Hillary Clinton at 10. Bernie Sanders at 10. Kamala Harris at 7. AOC at 5.9. And then Biden is ninth. Mm-hmm. And Pete Buttigieg is last. Yes. So Not difficult to defeat either of those two. I, I'm not afraid of Gavin Newsom, having lived in California the better part of my life. And, you, you know, Adam Crowley just came out and just says he's crazy. He's crazily delusional. Yes. He's and, a delusional person. He was recalled. Uh, they they didn't kick him out of office, but the recall made it on the ballot. So he had to go through an entire recall election, and he survived because Republicans didn't run the strongest candidate. They ran Larry Elder, who has more skeletons in his closet than you know a, a mortician fetishist. Right. Um, I never. I, that was a heck of an analogy Thank that you. I'm going to think about at one point later today. So. President Biden's got 31% approval. Gavin Newsom has run his state into the ground. All you have to do, if you haven't been to California in five years, go to a place you once visited. And you will see that it is overrun with homeless people and human feces and crime. And it sucks. My friend got punched in the face. And a a small woman, 5'3", punched in the face, knocked out by a crazy homeless guy. Right. In front of Starbucks. And we saw the the, the track athlete, too, get punched in the face. With a pipe. Yeah, incredible. Here's Governor Chris Christie on 2022. Cut three. For Democrats, they would love to make 2022 about Donald Trump. They would love to. 
but it's not about Donald Trump. It's about inflation. It's about gas prices. It's about crime in the streets. If you're in New York or Washington or Boston or Chicago or Los Angeles, San Francisco, it's about crime. And Democrats are not doing well on those issues. So that's what he wants to do. He's kind of willing to have it out there. What I think Republicans should look out for is they're looking at President Biden's poll ratings and they think the Democratic Party is that low. And maybe you think they should or should. It doesn't matter. I think the Democratic Party is more popular than the president. And I think they have to act like that. Monkeypox is more popular than the president. Right. Quinnipiac today has the lowest poll of the Biden presidency, 31 percent approval out right now. Monkeypox is pulling at 32.5. Right. More people want monkeypox than they do. But the Democrat Party, the establishment, they're the ones who foisted Joe Biden upon us. And they said he can beat Trump. That's all he has to do. Yeah, but he's better. He's worse, rather, in every other area. And he is on a fast track to cognitive decline hell. Right. And, you know, what's interesting is I think medical doctors are backing up, like Dr. Ben Carson is saying, and he was the last to say it. He said clearly he's deteriorating. And I don't think COVID is a mind booster. No, I've had COVID twice. It it gives you the the sleepies that come out of nowhere. I have long COVID, and it bites you in the keister. Like, all of a sudden, you cannot get out of bed. It is brutal. I hope he doesn't have long COVID. I do not want the president of the United States to suffer this kind of fatigue because it is debilitating. Right. So we we hope, and you're running triathlons. Yeah. I do half Ironman distance triathlons, and I still have COVID fatigue that comes and goes, and it's brutal. Do you tell people as you pass them, I have learned from COVID and I'm still beating you? Do you taunt them? Yeah. No, I do taunt people in the race (laughs) because it's like on the bike because the bike is so long. It's like three hours. So you're passing people. You're kind of slingshotting each other. And so I'm like, this is the last time I'm going to pass you. Right. One guy was wearing a lupus jersey because he was obviously raising money for lupus. And I just kept calling him lupus. I'm like, all right, here we go, lupus. This is it. I'm passing (laughs) Ah. you for the last time. Right. But he actually passed me again. He did. <laughs> I did. And you let him go because well, you're also against lupus. I, I am not pro-lupus, Brian. Right. I want to make that position clear. <laughs> That's true. A lot of people say, Kennedy, she likes lupus. I like her, but I just can't agree with her on lupus. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that rumor got out there. <laughs> oh, I'm what? doing whatever I can to squash Right. It. And it's a podcast of yours. You just go on and on and on. <laughs> when we come back, more of Kennedy. Oh. Uh, and we're going to talk about something else that's very important. And that is, uh, that is, of course, the Ukraine. Yes. And I believe it's time for you to weigh in. There's something going on in the Ukraine not getting enough publicity. A counteroffensive. Interesting. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You just told reporters the Pentagon is studying the possibility of providing fighter jets to Ukraine. Does that mean the administration is less worried about provoking Russia? Because that would be a significant escalation. I think what they're doing is just some exploratory thinking right now, Howie. And this is really long term. I mean, this is not something that we would be able to do anytime in the near term, weeks or months away. I mean, these kinds of aircraft require a lot of training, a lot of supply chain support, maintenance support. So a couple of things that obviously is the the fill-in press secretary, Admiral Kirby, saying something that is blatantly not true. 
They've already had the Ukrainians outside the country training on our bases. We have the F-15, F-16s ready to go, including the A-10 Warthog. Why? They said we might be able to get it to them in December. Kennedy is here right now. Hello. So what do you think is going to be left to the Ukraine if we wait till December to get them to us? Um, what do you think is going to be left to the Ukraine, or of Ukraine, not the Ukraine. You're not supposed to say that. Um, if we don't get people to the negotiating table, which, you know, you're yeah. going to lose so many lives. That country is going to be further decimated. Uh, they they have to talk. And the United States is, for some reason, interested in this horrible protracted war that is good for no one. Right. It's certainly not good for Americans. Well, it's uh, the they have no choice. Ukraine was invaded. Twenty percent of their country is gone. They were going to be invaded anyway. As soon as this president perhaps showed weakness, maybe they would have done it under Trump. I don't think it would have happened under Trump personally, but I don't know. Uh, but this is totally Russia's fault. And you have a chance to really damage somebody who for the next 50 years would be a real danger to our national security. And they are they were sucking wind against the Ukraine, and we're going halfway by giving the high Mars. They're going unbelievably effective, but we don't give them enough. We promise them jets, but then we pull them back. We'll get it to them in December? December? Yeah, how many people have to die? How many people have to starve? How many people, you know, talk to anyone from Ukraine and, and ask them about the country that they love and the home that they had to flee. Um it's it's brutal, but uh, again, we're over here in North America. There are a lot of people right around there uh, who should be personally invested. Looking at you, Germany, and everyone, every other country in Western Europe. Here is Sweden a, has fighter jets. They're part of NATO now, and they're supposed to be giving it to them. Then send them. If if you guys are right next door and you're worried about Russian aggression, send them the jets. All right, I, gas I, them up. I saw Top Gun this weekend. I know. You know what. I know that fighter I, jets are very impressive. Right? I almost saw Totcom. I, I you saw, haven't seen it yet. You know why? I, I, I saw Elvis. I had to make a choice. My daughter didn't see the original, and she kept looking over, going, "Why are you crying?" Because of Elvis? No, because Top Gun is very uh, emotional. Oh, okay. Uh, here Pulling is, for Maverick, Brian. Here's Al. I'm sorry. I thought we were Americans on this show. Here's Al Gore uh, describing what is wrong with our our country. I want to make sure I pick the right side. I'm trying to do that now. Um, here is cut 33. Well, we need to avoid confusing the short term with the long term. That's different from uh, investing billions in new fossil fuel infrastructure and new oil and gas drilling that would not do anything to help the current crisis or to help gasoline prices for that matter, uh, but would guarantee increased emissions in the years ahead. You know, the International Energy Agency has said that we should have zero new drilling for oil and gas reserves. We've already got enough to incinerate the planet. Uh, We're seeing this global emergency play out, and it's getting worse more quickly than was predicted. Incinerate the planet. No, we don't want to incinerate the planet, Albert. People want to put refined oil in the form of gasoline in their cars so they can go places, yes. earn money, and then spend it. And and that is positive sum prosperity. So we actually, if, if you're not going to drill anymore, fine. Then let's build more refineries and acknowledge that we need a longer, wider ramp to get us to energy independence and non-fossil fuels. He is, uh, I'm so glad he wasn't president. 
he also said we're a minority government, time to, uh, trying to blow up the filibuster and get something passed. Didn't his dad spend years in the Senate? Yeah. Didn't he spend years in the Senate? Does he really want to trash the Senate? Does he know there's an excellent chance Republicans will then have that power? Of course. That's that's what that means. Guess which state didn't vote for Albert Gore when he ran for president? His. Tennessee. T-E-N-N. He less double E. Don't you mean yeah. roughly? Yep, that's I mean, something like yeah, that. It was, it's in there somewhere. Definitely started with a lot a of letters. Definitely an E. All right. So when do we watch you tonight? Outnumbered, noon Eastern, and tonight seven PM Eastern, four in the West on the Fox Business Network. What are you wearing? Uh, sexy green. Thank you. <laughs> Back in a moment. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We are starting to see Trump drop below the critical 50% mark in terms of who Republicans would want to see as their nominee in 2024. And the constant, consistent rise of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He's now up into the mid-20s nationwide. But critically, because truly the national numbers don't matter, And we learned that in 2016. We learned that in 2008 with Barack Obama. What matters is New Hampshire, South Carolina, Iowa for the Republicans. And Ron DeSantis is rising in all the early states significantly. And there's even a survey that now has him ahead of Donald Trump in New Hampshire. So Donald Trump got two big crowds over the weekend in Arizona and Florida on Saturday. And then in his... Turning point poll, one going away by 50 points over Ron DeSantis. Other people like Frank Luntz have pointed out that in uh, different states from New Hampshire and Michigan, um, the Ron DeSantis in a virtual dead heat with him. And how much does it matter? Well, the reason why it matters is because the president could declare he's running again as early as September. Who knows? Maybe tomorrow. Uh, with me right now is Charlie Hurt, Fox News contributor, columnist for The Washington Times. Uh, Charlie, what do you think of Franklin's analysis? And we're talking about this because the president indicated over the weekend I'm about to make a big announcement. Yeah, and of course, uh, he's a great showman. He's a great marketer, and he knows that uh, keeping people's interest is the most important thing. And he has always done a very good job of that uh, right. of that sort of thing. But uh, I think, you know, obviously the, the real value of uh, the turning point, that turning point poll, is that it measures enthusiasm. And obviously elections are not won on enthusiasm alone. And uh, although the enthusiasm there for President Trump in Ron DeSantis' home state is pretty is pretty extraordinary. But uh, a lot of uh, political watchers and, uh, you know, media, uh, political media in uh, 2016 uh, have egg on their faces because they ignored the enthusiasm. And I think that, you you know, you you can't dismiss the enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is important. And obviously, uh, President Trump has been in a lot of ways silenced and sidelined. Um, I, I think that uh, – and so the, and with that has been a lot of that enthusiasm. That enthusiasm is still there in in a lot of pockets all across the country. And I think a lot of people in our business are not talking about it because, quite frankly, I think a lot of people in our business just are so desperate for him to go away, which is kind of weird. Because- uh, so Ron DeSantis, as I mentioned, here are the states, New Hampshire. Uh, he's basically leading or tied New Hampshire, Michigan, and Florida – 
And a lot of people are noticing that over the week in the New York Post and Wall Street Journal, both have op-eds basically <laughs> saying that Donald Trump should yeah. not, cannot win and should not win again. And the, and the New York Post did too. Um, yeah, I said uh, New York Post week. and Wall Street Journal. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, and, and, and I get it. You know, it, um, a lot of, especially sort of cautious Republicans, and, and I understand their thinking, they uh, feel like, especially in, in these polls with Ron DeSantis are a perfect example, Ron DeSantis shows Ron DeSantis is an America first Trump agenda candidate, and, uh, and, and his popularity is based on all of that. Obviously, there are questions about you know, whether or not he's got the, um, all of the qualities that make people love Trump, uh, although I would argue that all, you know, if Trump just sort of actually vanished from the scene, all of those Trump voters would uh, congregate around a guy like DeSantis, because despite what what you, you might sort of hear from the press, uh, Trump voters are very issue oriented. They, they obviously they love the guy, and the guy right. is a very appealing guy. But uh, to them, but but he is, uh, but it is all about issues. The 2016 election was the most issue oriented election of our lifetimes. The reason he D- Donald Trump got elected is because of it wasn't because he was a nice guy. It was because he was talking about issues that Democrats and Republicans had ignored for a long time. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I do think that uh, I, I do think that that people are um, and, and also it's it's still amazingly early. We haven't even gotten through the midterms yet. And I think that that uh, in, in the silence, a lot of people kind of their imaginations get away from them. And uh, it's easy for, you know, the, the New York Post or The Wall Street Journal to sort of dismiss the power of. Uh, uh, that Trump still has over the party and beyond. Uh, but uh, once things get underway, all that changes very quickly. Right. Uh, how much pressure do you think are on the Senate pick candidates like the J.D. Vance's, the Dr. Oz? Uh, what happens in this primary with Kari, um, Kari Lake? Uh-huh. Uh, when that is her pick, Mike Pence picked the, uh, picked the more traditional one, the one that Mike Ducey uh, picked. How much pressure is on the president's future with these picks? How they do in the general, and how many emerge in the primary? I would argue that, uh, for, well, first of all, you know, obviously we're going to make a lot of it because we always do. We're always looking for tea leaves to read. Um, but I would, I, I, again, that's why I, I always go back to the issues. All of these candidates, I mean, in, in Pennsylvania, for example, you had three Republicans all running on a Trump platform. All running on Trump issues, and so when when we get into these big arguments about well, is does Trump still control the Republican Party and all this kind of stuff? The answer is like it doesn't really matter who wins. The, he's changed. He's completely altered the platform of the Republican Party, and they're all running on the Trump platform. Right. And he, so so I would argue that that you know he, he in a weird way he can kind of claim victory from any of them, and and as he is wont to do, he will. <laughs> Right. Uh, he could do that. But like Dave McCormick, for example, had a lot of Trump people on the staff, but he still met with both of them and said, Dr. Oz is my guy. And Dr. Oz pulls it out. So I'm very curious to see. I, I, think, I, mean, Dr. The, Oz, I think Dr. Oz is getting totally uh, underappreciated. I think he's going to be he's I don't even think he's an underdog. I think he's going to I think he's going to win handily. Yeah, I think because he's people, so much different than Fetterman and he, right. Dr. Oz is a great communicator. He yeah. knows his stuff. The guy's and 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 and, that, and and I think at the end of the day, that's why Trump endorsed him was because he looked at at at, at uh, Oz ratings. and said, "Yeah, exactly. No, 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 exactly. No, yeah. it's it's really simple. And 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 politicians try to complicate everything 
Washington politicians try to complicate everything, which gives them room for corruption. And 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 Trump's the beauty of Trump is he looks at things very simply. But can I just make one real, real quick point? If you want to look at a place where Trump actually, you could say Trump maybe lost. You look at the Georgia races. Yes. And and but but I would argue that it wasn't that that he lost exactly. It's that that talking about the election. And obviously, election integrity is the most important thing that there is. That the election integrity is different than what he's talking about. He keeps talking about 2020. Right. You just talk, right. oh, talk about the states and what the, what's wrong right. with them and the governors and, that are going to fix them. And, 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 so, and so what I would argue is that those races in Georgia rejected the idea that you're going to run a campaign on the 2020 election. Nobody gives a crap about this anymore. And not only that, Brian and, Kemp took some heat because right. he went in and did election reform. And, 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 and again, when I say they don't, care, they don't care about the particulars of it, they do care about election integrity. And we have to get that, make sure that all that is fixed. But my point is that that the real enthusiasm for a Trump presidency or, or a campaign is all about the issues, just like in 2016. Right. Um, he's at his best. And in Florida this week, this weekend, he's at his best when he's talking about the bright future of the country and he's talking about the issues. Right. That's Could, can he shut him. off 2020? I think that he's. I think he's. Smart well, you'll enough. find out when next time you talk to him. Yeah, I think. No, well, I th- no. I think it's going to be a process. I think that 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 it's it's going to be. It's already been almost two years. I, I know well, I mean, the grieving process. There's like a, twelve steps. If in this the was a one-on-one therapy, they'd have to. They said, "I think you should see somebody else," <laughs> right? Because this obviously is not working. I think it's time for ketamine. Right. Uh, that's right. I saw that. Uh, ketamine is what got got reportedly Hunter off crack. At, that's amazing, and, right. and and by and and if you read that, if you believe Keith him, Ablo, Doctor Keith Ablo, and if you believe him, what he says is it, it, it. All the other psychotropics that people take for depression don't work, but ketamine does. And if that's true, and I don't know, I'm not a doctor. But whether you're doing but, a little Trump. I'm, Trump takes a word and just jumps on it. Next thing you know, I'm off on another tangent. We're talking about the 2020 election. But it's more election, interesting than Academy. whatever you were talking about. How about this? Uh, the headline of the Washington Post, uh, Stephen Eisenberg writes it, former publisher of the New York Newsday and chief of staff and for the New York um, Mayor Lindsay years ago. He said, quit, Joe, quit. Biden could save the midterms with a one-term pledge. I actually think it's just the opposite but what his point is, is that the Democratic Party is more popular than Biden. Your thoughts? Mayor Lindsay from, was from a different century, literally a different century. I never I don't. <laughs> I heard he was a handsome man. But when most of the videos Fox in News black didn't and even white exist when Mayor Lindsay Which is was, a shame. Yeah. Oh, right? no, no. We wouldn't have backed him. Right. <laughs> I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Quit no, Joe I mean, quit. Honestly, I know. I think the real, you know what's worse than running what? on Joe Biden in right. the 2022 elections is running on Democrat issues. That it, 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 issues. Yeah. It, right. They're worse for Democrats. And so but it, I think it also proves that. And, and, and I, I think Eisenberg speaks for a lot of Democrats today. And I think that what he is uh, saying is really that Biden has served his purpose. And now it's time to shove him off the cliff. But, Charlie, I, if you look back when someone like I'm just reading about Teddy Roosevelt now a lot. And they said the biggest mistake he ever made was as soon as he won a massive election, he said, this will be my last term. And immediately he became a lame duck. This is a year and a half in. If he said, this is it for me, you think he's invisible now as a leader? What so, could he possibly do? If you're, I know you're thinking, if, if you think from the Democratic perspective, I think Eisenberg is way off on this. Yeah. So, so you're making an argument for doing away with term limits for presidents. I like that. That's interesting. Um, I, don't, I don't think I'm doing that. Yeah, you are. You're saying that anybody who's a lame duck can't accomplish anything. So then why have a second term? 
So three then, and a half years, you're done. At least that that thought of I could come back. I'm just I'm just I'm just trying to give you a hard time. Really, it yeah. doesn't work. But <laughs> I'm too naive. But <laughs> you didn't even get it. Right. Um, no, uh, but no, but uh, I, no. I, Joe Biden, President Biden, has the White House and both chambers of Congress, and he can't get anything. But he's done. got John Meacham, who tells me he's like FDR. That's the problem. So I think that he's not getting anything done the next two years, regardless. As famous as Charlie Heard is. You're not as famous as John Rich. No, I am not. He wrote a song but I'll and sing I think for an you. hour, and it's number one on iTunes Do you want and me to Spotify. Sing? Do you want me to sing? Nobody wants you to sing. Nobody they wants you to sing. They just asked Quinnipiac. They just had the poll. They just, Nobody wants you to sing. <laughs> you don't need a poll. I have right. the worst voice on, on earth. I wouldn't doubt it. I, I had a, I, I was in I, I took choir because I was not able to play any sports. Right. And my choir teacher forced me to mouth the words because my voice was so bad that he is couldn't kick me out. You're going to need some carotene or whatever that's called to get you over your ketamine. depression on ketamine. Thank yeah. you, Charlie Hurt. Thank you. Uh, John Rich is now. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. They invite the whole world to come live in our land and leave our countrymen dying in Afghanistan. They say, let go of Jesus, let government say. Have back your freedoms if you do what we say. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just fine. And that is John Rich with his latest number one hit. Uh, it is a anthem, I believe. It's called Progress, and I believe that you're going to be singing that for the rest of your life, John Rich. I'm happy to sing it the rest of my life, He's man. He's in studio on Fox Nation, back again. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, people seem to, they seem to resonate big with this song. So tell me about, tell me about the song. How did it come about? Well, you know, we're watching our country uh, be systematically dismantled under the banner of Progress which is so ironic to me because everything I see looks like regression, not progression. It looks like destruction, not construction. And I thought, man, it's so ironic. That almost sounds like a song, like a song I don't necessarily want to sing, but I think I'm going to write it anyway. And so I saw a poll that came out that said 88% of Americans agreed, which first of all, that's huge if they agree on anything, agreed that the country was going in the wrong direction. I said, okay, it's time to write this song. So I, I just wrote my own thoughts. It's a three three minute straight ahead country song. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Right, and playing off uh, uh, playing off progressives. So well, progressives. yeah, I mean, in the name of progress, uh, we have to all go buy electric cars. And if you don't want to do it, we're just going to raise gasoline prices till you have to. That's in the name of progress. In the but name denying of, that you're doing that, sure. But in the name of progress, uh, we can't have a border, so we got to let everybody in because we're a nation of immigrants. So we got to let everybody in. Well, what about all the fentanyl coming in? I've lost a, a family member, a friend over over fentanyl overdoses. Uh, what about that? What about uh, what about targeting our kids at school? What about indoctrinating? Our, well, we have to teach your kids because you won't teach them correctly. That's progressive. I go, you know what? 
if you consider that to be progress, then you can stick it where the sun don't shine. Uh, and that's a nice G-rated way of saying you know what. And you just noticed, too, you pointed out what's going on around the world. We see these protests in Sri Lanka. We see the protests in the Netherlands. Yeah. These are people that were told, stop farming. Right. Uh, that is the problem. These greenhouse gases are coming from methane from cows. Right. And we have to stop with the fertilizer. Yeah. And you just told me something I did not know what Je- oh, Justin Trudeau was doing in yeah. Canada. Yeah, Justin Trudeau uh, just just passed a bill uh, to reduce Canada's fertilizer by 30%. So he's basically following the same thing they're doing in the Netherlands. And so when is Joe Biden going to say, okay, now American farmers drop it by 30%. What's going on with fertilizer now is it's so expensive, you can't hardly afford to buy it. So they've cut their crops in half in a lot of places around this country. You got to remember, Brian, that the only way America is ever going to reach up for a handout reach up for help is you got to put them on their knees first. And it appears to me they're, they're doing it on purpose and it's systematic and they do it under the name of progress, which, uh, is a joke in my mind, and that's why I wrote the song. Well, a couple of things. And then Al Gore, while you put this out, Al Gore, Blast from the Past, comes out and talks about how our the world is about to end and has a comparison. He said because we don't have the courage to make the hard decisions about fossil fuels. He had this analogy, cut 34. You know, the climate deniers uh, uh, are really in some ways similar to all of those uh, almost 400 law enforcement officers in Uvalde, Texas, who were waiting outside an unlocked door uh, while the children were being massacred. And confronted with this global emergency, what we're doing with our inaction and failing to walk through the door and stop the killing uh, is not typical of what we are capable of as human beings. you accept that analogy? He's psychotic. That's a psychotic thing to say. That That's uh, one of the most horrendous things I've ever heard anybody say. But what's interesting about his comment is, um, and about the real fact of the matter is, climate activists and people like Al Gore, they really want to hold the whole world hostage to the way they see things. And so I guess in that analogy, if you said, well, OK, well, then Al Gore is the guy holding the rifle. Right. I would never Absolutely. say that about him. But if you're going to bring if you're going to go there, then, I mean, let's let's play this on out. I mean, I always remind people that that are climate activists and, and have a psychotic view of it, like Al Gore. You remember that the ice age, we had an ice age on this planet at one point and the earth warmed back up and the ice age was over and then it froze again. And then it, and then we used to have dinosaurs, all kinds of things have happened on this planet and uh, this just seems to be another way they, they want to be able to control literally everything we do, and we're not going to take it. That's part of the motivation why you felt as though you had to write a song that people can relate to, and they're buying it. If people want to download Progress, what do we do? It's anywhere you get your music. It's on iTunes. That's probably the fastest way and easiest way to get it. It's number one, number one most downloaded song in all of America right now. And uh, it just puts a big grin on my face to know America loves loves what this song is. Are you looking forward for. to playing this on stage? Absolutely, man. I can't wait. You did it on uh, Fox and Friends today, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. John Rich, uh, support him. He's got his head on right. He's willing to hear all views, and he certainly has his own, and it's in these lyrics. Thanks, John. Thanks, brother. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Hope you had a sensational weekend. And if you're listening to me because you're on vacation, uh, hopefully you'll realize that if I don't fit into your schedule normally, you can get the podcast on briankilmeadeshow.com. John Roberts is standing by. He doesn't have to get dressed yet. He's not on air. So we don't know what he's wearing, but we know he's going to join us on radio and have his A-game. And Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour, fresh off Fox News Sunday. A couple of things are happening today you're probably not going to hear much about, but I'll go over it. The Heritage Foundation will have former Vice President Mike Pence there. Interesting. Pence and and Trump seem to be at this Cold War phase in their life. And Congressman Gonzalez will lead a congressional delegation of eight members to the southern border. We believe at least one of them are Democrats. It is a mess down there. And today... Uh, it starts in 20 minutes. I believe the first, first, America First Policy Institute, it hosts the American First Agenda Summit, uh, and the president will be uh, speaking there because it all is his idea. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. President Biden sounds like the commissioner of the NBA. He just folds to whatever China wants instead of standing up for America. Pelosi must go. I'm not talking about from Washington. I'm talking about Taiwan. The president says the Defense Department doesn't want her to. Now she has to. Who cares how angry China is getting? Number two. You just told reporters the Pentagon is studying the possibility of providing fighter jets to Ukraine. I think what they're doing is just some exploratory thinking right now, Howie, and this is really long term. I mean, this is not something that we would be able to do anytime in the near term, weeks or months away. Oh, you think so? Just have some exploratory thinking. I might go to Aruba. I don't know. I might go to Sandals. And I might give F-15s and F-16s to Ukraine. But I don't know. I'm just thinking about it. Ukraine on the offensive. This is the good news. They're trying to take back Kyrgyzstan, and it's been confirmed. Keep your fingers crossed it's going to work. Meanwhile, the White House needs to show strength to the Ukrainians with weapons, more high Mars, and yes, with jets. And they wait and they watch. Number one. Yes. They still like Donald Trump, but they're tired of focusing on him and they want the election. They want the concerns to be about themselves and about their future, not about Donald Trump's past. Frank Luntz weighing in Trump power. How much is left as Biden sees his own party begin to push him out? Could both swing the midterms with an announcement of their futures? Should they make announcements before November? Let's bring in John Roberts on that. Hey, John, first off, how are you? I'm good, Brian. I hope you had a good weekend. You are, and your family? Are you uh, very good? Thank you. Uh, with your new schedule, knowing you got five days as an anchor, are you able to relax more on weekends, or do you take at least one day where you shut off the phone and don't watch news? Well, I never shut off the phone, and and I and I never don't watch news. But uh, I am uh, sort of living in a place now where I don't have to be concerned with the next tweet is going to completely upend everybody's life. <laughs> so so it is a little bit more normal of a schedule. Right. Uh, I just thought that must be you're not you're not even exaggerating because his his tweets were every oh. single time they were almost news they were newsmakers. Yeah, and and if they weren't newsmakers, they they created some sort of unrest storm <laughs> that, that caused somebody to make news. So uh, it 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 is a, a little bit of a relief to kind of you know go into the weekend because both uh, our kids play 
travel lacrosse and be able to go to a lacrosse tournament and not think that uh, I'm going to have to run back into the White House at, at, at a moment's notice. Although we, we all were over the weekend on COVID watch with President Biden. Thankfully, he's doing better. And uh, it looks like he's uh, he's going to have a pretty swift recovery. He's even, even giving a, a talk today. So that's a good sign. So Ron Klain was out yesterday, and he's talked to him about the president's poor poll ratings. He claims it's a reflection of how America feels about the country, not about him. Uh, the Quinnipiac poll has him at 31 percent. They have a CNN poll that had him at 36 percent. Harris is at 32 percent. So 71 percent of adults don't want – adults, not even Democrats. 71 percent of adults don't want to run again. 54 percent of Democrats don't run again in that same poll. Do you remember anything like this in a first term? Uh, I don't remember it this early on in a first term. You know, maybe toward year three or the beginning of year four, people get very dissatisfied. Look what happened with President Obama. Uh, in, in in 2010. And I mean, that was after two years. Uh, by the fourth year, he had sort of redeemed himself and uh, came back to win a second term. But I, I just don't recall numbers this low. Remember, everybody was saying how low President Trump was in the polls. You know, Biden wishes he had Trump's numbers. And, and when you look at this New York Times-Siena poll that was out about three weeks ago. Yeah, I saw that. Every major voting demographic uh, who say that they're going to vote in the Democratic primary wants somebody else to be the candidate in 2024. So you can imagine the frustration that that presents Joe Biden to say, wait a minute, I'm the president. I'm supposed to be the nominee in, in 2024. And you all want somebody else? He's got he's got to be confused. He's got to be frustrated. I think in some ways he's probably got to feel a little hurt that after three tries he finally become president, and now Democrats want to get rid of him. I want and, you to. And I don't. Yeah. And I just. I'm sorry. I disagree with Klain. I don't think that Biden's poll numbers are a reflection of of where the country is. I, I think. Biden's poll numbers are a reflection of what people think about how he's addressing the problems of the country. And the fact that he hasn't been able to to turn things around in any meaningful way has got them really soured on him in much the same way that they were soured on on Bush 41 back in 1992. So it's just amazing that you have uh, you have the governors and uh, Governor Gavin Newsom in particular uh, weigh in. Yeah. Pritzker come out and say, you know, basically make maneuvers like they're going to be running. I think yep. it's too hard for Mayor Pete to do and the vice president to do it, but it, clearly they would be in if if he was to back out. So Jessica Milan Patterson, who's California Republican chairperson, was on with um, Steve Hilton yesterday, Cut 9, about Gavin Newsom. If you wanted to find a worse candidate than President Biden and Vice President Harris, you have found it in Gavin Newsom. You mentioned every single one of these stats. And meanwhile, while everything is going wrong here in California, he has the audacity to go out and lecture red states like Texas and Florida and visit Montana while we can't spend any state funds uh, in Montana. This guy's an absolute hypocrite. And no one in the nation is looking to California and saying, this is the way it should be done. They are looking at the California way as the way to not do things. And and if you look at the report card, she's 100 percent right. Will that matter? And and she's not the only one who's saying that. Uh, And all you have to do is ask anybody who moved from California to Texas or Florida or Nashville what what they think about Gavin Newsom's chances of becoming president. But but take a look at it. They, They put a whole slate of candidates out. In 2020, and Joe Biden rose to the the top of, of of that crop. So anything can happen in the Democratic Party. They could find a good candidate that they can feel. I'm not quite sure who that would be, or they could put forward a candidate that in in uh, 
that woman's words is worse than Joe Biden. It. It's so fluid right now, Brian, and with so much focus on the midterms, I don't think that we can accurately gauge who might be in for a 2024 run, if anyone. Because if Biden runs again, both Pritzker and Newsom have said they're not going to do it. But I think that there's going to be so much pressure on Biden to not go again in 2024 that we'll probably see a very broad field of Democratic candidates. But could any one of them beat either Donald Trump if he runs again or Ron DeSantis? I don't know. John Roberts is going to be co-hosting today, uh, America Reports, again, from 1 to 3. So the headline of the Washington Post of the weekend was Quit Joe Quit. Biden should save, uh, could save the midterms for his party with a one-term pledge. That's Steven Eisenberg, former publisher of New York Newsday, mm-hmm. getting a lot of play. Do you think that would help? Just from your experience, we've never really quite been down this road before. But if a 78, 79-year-old says, I'm not going to run next, could that help or hurt? Uh, it could potentially help the Democratic Party in 2024, but it would be the death knell for the Biden administration, because if he says he's not going to run again, Who would work he, immediate, he immediately becomes uh, a lame duck. Yeah, a lot of staff would probably see the writing on the wall and they would leave and he'll get nothing done. So we'll we'll basically be in gridlock for the next two years, which is which is <laughs> frankly probably where we're going to be anyways, uh, particularly if uh, the Republicans gain back control of the House and or the Senate. Uh, but it would be really a blow to his administration because he might as well just you know start packing up and you know start uh, painting the the house in Wilmington and and Rehoboth because he's going to be spending a lot of time there. Exactly. Four years from now, two years from now. So Governor Chris Christie always a great guest. He was on this week with George Stephanopoulos on 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 Sunday, and he was on with us on Friday too. And he was saying this about Donald Trump: if he does in fact go through on what he's telling people and announce he's running in September. Cut three. For Democrats, they would love to make 2022 about Donald Trump. They would love to, but it's not about Donald Trump. It's about inflation. It's about gas prices. It's about crime in the streets. If you're in New York or Washington or Boston or Chicago or Los Angeles, San Francisco, it's about crime and Democrats are not doing well on those issues. Right. But if Donald Trump comes out in September, John, your projection, would it be about Donald Trump? And could they make a reasonable argument that it is? It would absolutely be about Donald Trump. And and here's the thing. I'm sure that there are a lot of people in the Republican Party who are quietly telling uh, former President Trump, uh, please hold off on any announcement until after November the 8th. But as you and I well know, Brian, uh, nobody tells Donald Trump what to do. Uh, the only person who Donald Trump trusts to do the right thing is himself. And if he feels that he wants to make an announcement in order to make a splash, uh, he'll do it. Uh, I think that it could have negative impacts on November the 8th because Democrats will pivot to that. And they'll say, you know, you, you might be worried about inflation. We're working hard to tackle that, even if they might not be. You're worried about gas prices. We're working hard to tackle that, even though they may be going the other direction in, in terms of climate change and green energy. But they can say – you know, Donald Trump is coming back, and you can't have Donald Trump as president and have Republicans in control of Congress. This is the argument that they'll make, and they'll try to win back seats that might have been up for grabs in November based on on those warnings of where the country will be and where the country will go if uh, we ran into that situation in 2024. So and again, that's, yeah. that's, that's the argument 
that they would probably make. You know, I don't know that it's a valid argument, but uh, that's the argument that they'll try to make. I, I do believe that they would make it all about Donald Trump. Absolutely. I, th- I think uh, let's see if it, it matters. I think for him, it would even be better to wait to November. He might be even stronger if J.D. Vance wins, if Dr. Oz wins, if Herschel Walker wins, if he's able yeah, to pick up some can, other uh, the government. If he can come out and say all of these candidates that I threw my yeah. weight behind, they won or by and large, they won or, or you know, we were. We were nine and one or whatever. That that would be a good feather in his cap to say that he still has a real lock on the Republican Party, because as you see now, there are more and more factions in the Republican Party who are trying to push him overboard. So if he's got a track record to say the the reason why the Republicans won is largely because of me, that gives him a lot of power. January 6th hearings, uh, they had 20 million the first time in prime time, 17 million the next time. A lot of people, some people think it's not changing any minds. Olivia, Be- Olivia Beavers was on Sunday Night in America last night from Politico, and she said this, cut 40. The fact that we have most House Republicans, if they are, are willing to admit it, they're admitting it privately, is a sign that he's still pretty powerful within the party. They don't want the base coming after him. The base, uh, the, his so supporters are still loyal. And, you know, I went around asking House Republicans if they plan to endorse him in the primary if he ran uh, in this next presidential. And three of them were already ready to say yes out of the 10 that I asked. And, you um, so, it, you know, it does show that he does have power, and we're two years away from a presidential run. I mean, think about this. He will not have, like, the governor of Maryland will not support Donald Trump, and we know the Mitch McConnell says he won't support Donald Trump. How would that go? Um, there's a lot of Republicans that already came out against him. This is really, even for a guy with all your experience, John, this is really going to be interesting to see what it does to the Republican Party if Donald Trump runs, right? Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see where which, which bench people are sitting on. If and when uh, former President Trump says that he's he's going to run, if if you if you don't support him, particularly in states that went big for him in 2020, uh, then you run the risk that you're going to lose uh, because Republicans just won't won't vote for you. And then there's a risk in some moderate areas where if you came out to support him, that you might lose because people uh, in in certain uh, parts of the Republican Party do not want to see him run again. And, and I think you're seeing people become more vocal about the prospect of him running again in, in 2024. Uh, there is definitely a fracture in the Republican Party over over Donald Trump. Still a lot of people who really like him, who would vote for him, who want him to come back and be president. And then there's a growing number of Republicans who don't want him anywhere near the, uh, the Oval Office. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. John, who's on your show today? Oh, we got uh, quite a big show today, uh, including uh, Josh Kroshauer is going to be talking to us about this whole thing with whether or not President Biden should uh, should run again or not. Morgan Ortegas is going to take us through all the latest machinations with Nancy Pelosi and her potential trip to China. Uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher is going to be doing the same thing with us. Uh, we've got Jonathan Turley as well, uh, the latest on Hunter Biden. And uh, whether or not time is running out for Hunter Biden, it all depends on whether the U.S. attorney in in Delaware uh, decides that he's going to present more evidence uh, of of Hunter's alleged misdeeds to a new grand jury or whether he'll just go with the information from the old grand jury. And maybe there will be some potential criminal charges that are announced. They may be held because of the proximity to the election. Jonathan's got a great column out today, so we'll – We'll pick his brain over where this whole thing went. And cover all the breaking news throughout the afternoon. Uh, John Roberts, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much. 
All right, you bet, Brian. It was good to chat with you. All right, uh, great. So that's John Roberts weighing in. It's, it's up to you next, one 408 Then we'll weigh in with uh, Brett Bear and then finish up with you. Brian Kilmeade Show, so glad you're here. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. One other big piece of news over the weekend was the Zelensky interview with the Wall Street Journal. And what he basically said was, we are not interested in a ceasefire. We are not interested in any situation that gives a pause so the Russians can rebuild while they sit on our lands and rebuild militarily. And I thought that was really interesting. It showed essentially that we're you know, open to diplomacy, obviously, but not diplomacy that hurts us and helps the Russians. Uh, I agree. Uh, And by the way, when we help the Russians, we're hurting us. And there's just no doubt about it. It's in our national interest. Ron, listening on KSLM in in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Ron. Hey, brother, man. I'm going to hit four points real quick, less than 45 seconds. One, uh, we should should not be merely in in Austin, uh, Secretary of uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff and uh, Secretary of Defense, should never be announcing what we're giving to our allies. He's the only presidency in my lifetime of 55 years we have ever done it, whether it's in Afghanistan or anything else. Two, Mr. Gore needs to go back home to his 14,000-square-foot house, and if he got the battery card, it takes about a foot out of downtown Salem Main Streets, 500,000 pounds or roughly 2,500 dump trucks. Uh, that's more damage than 15,000 15, oil wells you drill a foot in diameter. Three, we need to go through and get back to my first four, the Jelly Rattles, Republican Party. That's I call them Jelly Rhinos because they don't have a spine. They're more moccasins in D.C. than you can shake a stick at in Louisiana. Make a long right. story short is that they need to be listening to us, the people. And stop trying to undermine and I know. I, I hear you. It's exactly what's going on in Canada. You know, John Rich was just in here other hours, says in Canada they're starting to limit fertilizer, down 25%. What are you going to eat with? Same thing they're doing in Netherlands, Sri Lanka. You're seeing the people rise up and get fed up. And I'll tell you what, the canary in the coal mine is Justin Trudeau because he's a spineless guy. He thinks green and gender first, and we just don't. Hey, uh... Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian Kilmeade on stage. I cannot wait to get back out there. Taking back America one stage at a time. Go to briankilmeade.com. On August 27th, I'll be at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in beautiful Newark, New Jersey. And on September 8th, the Egg in Albany. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Look, I am uh, working hard to earn every single vote, uh, but I will tell you, Brett, that uh, given the choice between maintaining my seat in the House of Representatives on the one hand or ensuring the survival of our constitutional republic and ensuring the American people know the truth about Donald Trump, I will choose the Constitution and the truth every day of the week and, and twice on Sunday. We have a fundamental obligation and oath that I and my colleagues took under God to the Constitution. Uh, and and uh, the, that is uh, the single mm-hmm. most important obligation we have when faced with the threat that, that Donald Trump presents. So that obviously was Cheney with Brett Baer yesterday on Fox News Sunday. He's chief political anchor, and he does just about everything. So special report. He's getting ready tonight. Uh, Brett, so you talked to Liz Cheney. No doubt about it. Uh, she's trailing about 20 points. She's going to lose this primary, it seems, barring anything extraordinary happening. But for her, it's worth it. That's my takeaway from your interview. 
Yeah, I agree. I think she's bracing herself for that loss. It doesn't seem like she's affected by it. If anything, I think she's preparing to run for president. Uh, Didn't effectively answer the next question I had, which was that her staff is suggesting it sets her up for a run for president. I don't know what polls they're looking at, but um, I think that that's where she's headed, uh, just on the politics of the moment. Yeah, I mean, that's the same thing with Governor Hogan. So Governor Hogan's handpicked successor did not get the nomination, and he's so bitter he goes, I will not re-rope for the Republican nominee over in Maryland. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of people, anti-Trumpers, who think they can run, and now Governor Christie's emerged that way. I mean, he's still technically friends with him, but he disagrees with a lot of things he did. So I think he would run if Trump ran too. But I don't see anybody getting any traction except for Governor Yunkin. Governor Yunkin could effectively, my humble opinion, run – not be anti-Trump, but he's not really – he doesn't owe Trump anything for his nomination and for his eventual win. Well, that's right. And I think Glenn Youngkin will run. Um, at least the indications are that he will. And right, he ran a race that touched the Trump rail but did not uh, get sucked into that orbit. Uh, he ran his own race, but he also – didn't make Trump's supporters mad. He ran on on issues that they care about. Education helped him in that race, um, but largely it was about how you feel about the economy and um, the future. And and a lot of these candidates who are looking towards the future uh, are are taking a different path, obviously, than the ones that are looking back to the 2020 election. So. What is your, I mean, you're inside Washington more than uh, most people. So maybe you're somewhat in the bubble, but there's 17 million people that watch the primetime, uh, primetime showing the first, the last session, and 20 million that watch the first one. In the afternoon, numbers down precipitously uh, in terms of January 6th. Are minds being changed? No, I don't think so. I think that if you're in one camp, you're in that camp. Uh, I think that. There are some independents and moderate Republicans who maybe didn't see all of the things together. Uh, And if they're watching the hearing, that when they piece it together with all the clips and all the chronology, that it looks worse uh, in in that light. And I've said that. I think it does look horrific, uh, you know, in those 187 minutes of of inaction. You made a lot of news with that. Yeah, I mean, but listen, I, I think it's common sense. It does not look good. It looks bad. However, what also looks bad is this committee not allowing cross-examination, not having a a standard rule of the committee, not having a minority that puts up some defense. Not that there is a defense of the 187 minutes, but there is a defense about uh, security and whether or not the president did say – go with the National Guard troops and make this a safe event, that pretty much undercuts any thought that he was in for a coup or an insurrection. I mean, just any uh, just uh, this would be like any trial if there was no defense. So if there's no defense, like, wow, this is this is a route and uh, the biggest or smallest crime. So Mark Levin gave us an idea yesterday, I thought, on his show, what a defense would sound like. 
for example, like you said, Donald Trump not coming out right away saying, what the hell is going on here? If you're a supporter of mine, you are not in that building. I need you out right away. Everything we want to accomplish, uh, you're undoing by doing this. This is not the way Trump crowds act. Whatever he did. And there'll be people that say, well, you shouldn't have had the rally, and that would have been a different debate. But here's an example of what, uh, to put in perspective what's going on. Cut 39. Donald Trump were seriously interested in an insurrection, he would have issued a video. And his video wouldn't have said what it said. His video would have been a call to arms, right? It's leading an insurrection. He would have called everybody who could hear his voice to come to the Capitol armed to take over the Capitol building. He would have called out the United States military, whether they would respond or not, to come to the Capitol building, encircle it, arrest the vice president, and arrest other officials, members of Congress. That's an insurrection. He would have declared martial law. That's an insurrection. He didn't do any of those things. So that's a counter to it, correct? Of course. Of course. Yes, he didn't do that. But he also didn't pick up, you know, anything for that period of time. And it was I'm not saying that it it lends itself to insurrection. What I'm saying is it lends itself to inaction and that that inaction causes problems for President Trump. That said, he's got people like Chris Miller, Cash Patel, who say that on January 3rd, he said, make it a safe event. And if you need 20,000 National Guard troops, that's fine. I asked Liz Cheney about that on Sunday. She said he never made an order and that that order never came down either before or during the event. You know, some of this is semantics. But the bottom line is that January 6th politically is not a good thing for President Trump period, end of sentence. Uh, That said, this January 6th committee is not a great thing for Liz Cheney or for, you know, um, the politics of fairness in presenting something of that day. The other thing, Brett, and I think you remember, Liz Cheney voted with Trump 98% of the time. She was going to be, she might even made a run with McCarthy at speaker. And as with all the, you know, there are certain politicians that can never get used to Donald Trump's style, like Paul Ryan, for example, never going to work. Others adapted to it. She was one of those people early on, because I'm friendly with her, not like you are, but uh, because you work with the header on your panel. I mean, panels right in Washington. I was very friendly with Liz Cheney. I'm not not now, but she was she was fine with the the different way he approached politics because she thought he was a conservative doing the things outside the foreign policy in Syria and pulling troops out there and maybe rushing too fast in Afghanistan. She was with him on all the other stuff. She was for some time, and then there was a break, and I don't know what the break was, um, but there was a de- definitive break, and she became much more um, anti-Trump, and it was not. January 6th, and it was not the election. It was before that, um, and I don't know when that was. But, you know, emotion became part of it. And what I say to there, – there's a strict side of the Republican Party that is 100 percent never Trumper. You know, they never want to see Donald Trump. Then there's a side that's like skeptical Trump. And it is they really hate all of the back and forth and the name calling and the other stuff. But the policies they really think are good. And then there's, you know, pro-Trump. And I think that all of those sides are going to have to come to grips with how the politics lays out here if he announces before November uh, or, you know, soon after. 
And by the way, if the Republicans want to be successful and to get the White House, they can't lose any of those factions. I mean, they because right now there, there's not enough Republicans to get uh, it elected without any moderates and independents, let alone if you lose some Republicans. But I want to switch gears because I know you talked about it over the weekend. Al Gore was doing the rounds this weekend. Obviously, he looked good compared to Donald Trump. When a, a controversial election happened, he bowed out. That's what I wish President Trump would have done, and I've said that many times. But also, he, Al Gore shocked me because he's got a family that's been involved in the Senate for years and a dad. Listen to what he says has to happen. Cut 10. Public sentiment is changing, but our democracy is broken. And in order to solve the climate crisis, we're going to have to pay attention to the democracy crisis. The same reason that uh, it's Im- seemingly impossible for the Congress to pass legislation banning these uh, weapons of war. The same reason we can't pass legislation to, for example, reinstall, reinstate the ban on assault weapons is the same reason that we can't pass climate legislation. We have a minority government. We have the filibuster still, which ought to be eliminated. Really? He wants to get rid of the filibuster? Really interesting. You know, a senator who lived in that world and defended the filibuster for a long time. You know, it's interesting to listen to uh, Democrats who want to get these big progressive items through say the filibuster has to be eliminated. Now, what happens when they're in the minority and Republicans are controlling and they are steamrolling um, tax cuts and, I don't know, all kinds of things that are Republican agenda items? Is then the filibuster not a good thing? I mean, it's been this way for a reason. It protects the minority. The minority doesn't control it. But you have to get 60 votes. If you want to be able to control it fully, you got to win those seats. I, and I just thought it's so short-sighted uh, because to see a Republican in the White House is not far-fetched. You, you know, you're not asking to win this. This, this You could definitely see it. They seem like the Republicans have more talent on, on their side than Democrats have if you just look at it rationally. And number two is there's an excellent chance the Democrats are going to lose the Senate. So why would they want to be on record trying to do something that could blow up in their face like the Supreme Court judge uh, confirmation did? Yeah. Listen, and it's not a stretch to go backwards to the beginning of the Obama administration. They had a White House, House and Senate with 60 votes. They had the whole deck stacked. And what did President Obama choose? He chose chose health care. But he, he could have chosen immigration. He could have chosen infrastructure. He could have chosen a number of things. Um, but they had it, and then they lost it. They lost that midterm significantly. Um, but you forget that those numbers were there uh, to stop the filibuster. All right. Uh, lastly, I know I'm wearing you out a little bit, but I just got to talk about what's happening in Ukraine. You know, I was talking to General Jack Keane uh, late last week. He's like, I'm talking to people, officials. We're ready to get them F-16s and F-15s and, uh, and warthogs. And then this exchange with Admiral James Kirby on uh, John Kirby on Media Buzz, cut 12. 
You just told reporters the Pentagon is studying the possibility of providing fighter jets to Ukraine. Does that mean the administration is less worried about provoking Russia? Because that would be a significant escalation. I think what they're doing is just some exploratory thinking right now, Howie. And this is really long term. I mean, this is not something that we would be able to do anytime in the near term, weeks or months away. And he goes on to say that we're not until December. Really? You're going to get them fighter jets in December? We're in July. These guys are fighting for their lives. Yes or no? Warthog's ready to go. There was a sense that the Pentagon thought they were going to be shrink-wrapped and sent. Where's the disconnect? I agree. And uh, I don't know what changes now, but it would be a significant change. Why do we not care now that we are provoking Putin when that was the whole thing with the MiG-29s? I've got um, Mike Waltz just came back from uh, Ukraine on that trip, that bipartisan uh, delegation that was Zelensky talking with a lot of folks. He's going to be on special report tonight. And I I think that this is a crucial moment. And if this change is really happening, um, we've gone into a different place. And why? Why now? Why not two months ago? Brett, have you named your panel yet? I have named the panel. Britt Hume's going to be on. Uh, Molly Hemingway, uh, Juan Williams, and uh, one other. I think it's Ben Domnich. I'm not sure. Do you, like, you know how in baseball games they have an extra umpire at the game in case somebody gets hurt? Do you keep an extra panelist in the green room in case somebody <laughs> Just gets in hurt? Case, like they have laryngitis <laughs> or something. Or they aggravate they you. Talk. Like, you yeah, can just look they- at me, you're out. Yeah, it really, they really pissed me off, and I just say, that's it. Right. Put in the left-hander. Britt, sorry, it's not your day. Okay. You're, <laughs> That'll you're... never happen with Britt. <laughs> he wouldn't leave. That's the problem. <laughs> Brett, thanks so much. Appreciate it. See you, Brian. one 7669 We'll get to your calls in just a moment. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest-growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I want to thank the United States of America from the bottom of my heart as an American citizen who welcomed me with open arms since I was practically a child and gave me the opportunity to develop and fulfill all my dreams and then some more. Thank you very much, U.S. And that is... That is David Ortiz. He goes into the Hall of Fame, started his career with the Twins, ended with the Red Sox. It makes me wonder if we need to know more. More to know. So David Ortiz, uh, definitely a a godlike figure in Boston, delivered two World Series. Also going in, Gil Hodges, way overdue, managed the Mets, was an outstanding player with the Dodgers, died way too young. Jim Cott is now in his 80s, wonderful person. A great pitcher. Minnie Minosa, he would have been a perfect pinch hitter. Tony Oliva was great. Bud Fowler was a fantastic pitching coach. Negro League pioneer. Buck O'Neill I've had a chance to meet. So they all posthumously were inducted into the Hall of Fame. Meanwhile, in football, next. Jaguars have signed another USFL player. This quarterback, Kyle Slaughter, will join this team. Not be a starter. Trevor Lawrence is there. But Slaughter is one of about 11 people that played in the USFL and suddenly find themselves with NFL opportunities. What a salute to the league. He passed for 1,798 yards for New Orleans. Next, WWE founder Vince McMahon says, I'm retired. I'm not just stepping aside. I'm retired. Stephen McMahon, his daughter, will move into the role of chairwoman and co-CEO with Nick Khan. 
So McMahon got himself in some trouble. Some payouts were exposed when you're a public company, no longer a family operation. That's got out there. And he paid them off, so we don't know the details, right? But About he said, $18 million worth of payoffs. Hopefully, uh, yeah, that's a lot of money. I know. We're a big fan of Linda McMahon uh, at 77 years old. He's done a lot, revolutionized wrestling. But the WWE, uh, I don't think they can replace him, personally. We'll see. Next, uh, former NFL Major League Baseball star Bo Jackson did something really cool. The 59-year-old is paying for the funeral expenses for all 19 children and two teachers lost in Uvalde at Robb Elementary. Isn't that great? He says, I don't know if it is because I'm getting old. It's just not right for parents to bury their kids. It is just not right. Well, I had a chance to interview him by all accounts. I still thought he was a great guy. I think he's a great guy. This is more proof of it. Oh, absolutely. And Bo Jackson was bigger than life, too. Our hot next. Are hot dogs really a sandwich? Most Americans say yes. 57% say hot dogs is a sandwich. They consider a hot dog a sandwich. It turns out that Americans also have a dictionary on their side. Webster's defines a sandwich as two or more slices of bread uh, or a split roll having filling in between. So, do you, so would you consider a sandwich? No. No. I couldn't do that. And what Webster's doesn't understand is nuance. And Webster's understand what a sandwich should look like. Webster's is a cold, uncaring, one-time one So just because a hot dog page. looks differently, I can't identify as a sandwich? You know what? In 2022, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm out of step. My bad. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.